Welcome back to the Speak Up Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Lively. I hope all of you are just as excited as I am for the last few weeks of the MLB regular season before the playoffs get underway. Speaking of baseball, today on the podcast, I am joined with the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, Josh Rawich. We will be discussing how Josh got into baseball, his career journey, current work at the Hall of Fame, and more. Make sure to share this episode with other baseball fans out there. Now, without further ado, here is the episode. Well, welcome back to the Speak Up Sports podcast. I'm Anna Lively, and this week on the podcast, I am joined with the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Josh Rawich. Josh, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. It's my pleasure, Anna. Looking forward to it. So first off, how did you get involved with baseball? I actually started like a lot of people in baseball as an intern uh, at the Los Angeles Dodgers. I grew up in Los Angeles as a big Dodger fan. And I just, you know, in a lot of ways, got very lucky, sent off a resume after my freshman year and got a chance to work for three summers for free and uh, and eventually led to a full-time job when I graduated college. And over the last 27, 28 years thereabouts, I've been pretty much spent my whole career in baseball. That's awesome. So you talked about it, interning with the Dodgers, and then you started working with them. But what sort of work did you do with them during your time there? So I started out in the marketing department. It was kind of before they even really called things marketing. It was the advertising and special events department. And I did that for a couple of summers. I got to work in broadcasting and publications for a little while. And then eventually, after uh, about five years in the marketing department, I moved over to public relations. And so it's really where I Kind of started moving moving up within the Dodgers was in the PR department. Uh, I, I actually left for a couple of years to become a reporter. I, I was a, a beat writer for MLB.com covering the Dodgers and then the Giants. And then um, very, came back to the Dodgers and spent about another decade working in various parts of the communications department and eventually left, uh, left the Dodgers for a job at the Diamondbacks and had spent about a decade there before getting out here to Cooperstown, mostly in the communications field, but over time taking on lots of other areas of responsibility. Yeah, that's awesome. You had such a great tenor with the Dodgers, you know, with that hallowed franchise with Vin Scully. I mean, so many greats there and then continued your journey. But throughout your time with the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks and MLB.com, what would you say some of your favorite memories were from those organizations? Oh, man. I mean, when I grew up a Dodger fan, just being able to to basically literally go to Dodger Stadium every day was an incredible blessing. And then to work with all of the legends that I I got to love as a kid, my favorite, pretty much anybody that I grew up watching in the 80s that was like my my favorite Dodgers I got a chance to work with. So I would say um, being a part of that and certainly being a part of a couple of winning teams that went to the LCS. I mean, I, I never got a chance to be a part of what they're doing right now. I left for the Diamondbacks right before all the uh, the ridiculously great things happened. But I'm sure as you talk to a lot of people on this podcast, what people often say is that it's the people that you meet. And mm-hmm. I met some of my best friends in the world working at the Dodgers and having just incredible opportunity to grow and learn under under some really, really cool people. So I'd say from that standpoint, the, the, that was it at the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Um, I mean, we, we, we got to just take a couple of trips abroad. I love to travel internationally. And so um, doing trips to Japan and the Dominican Republic and Australia and New Zealand and 
Mexico, a lot of a lot of that through the through the Diamondbacks years um, are some of my best memories. In addition to again meeting some just amazing people that I worked with over the years. Yeah, that sounds like a blast getting to, you know, be surrounded by so many people that makes work even more enjoyable, but also getting to travel to so many unique places throughout baseball as your work, you know, so that's super cool. But after you finish, you know, working at the Diamondbacks, what would you say led to your transition last year from them to the Baseball Hall of Fame? Well, it really kind of started with a call from my predecessor here, Jeff Idelson, who was worked for about 25 years at the Hall of Fame, first in communications and eventually in, in, in the president's role. And he had called and basically said, you know, we're, we're looking for someone who can potentially take the president's spot. And I've identified a handful of people that I think might be a good fit. Just wanted to see what you what you thought about that. And I certainly never thought in a million years that I would be in a position like this or be living in Cooperstown. But uh, when that when Cooperstown calls, you, you obviously you take the call and you I got a chance to meet all the people that are uh, involved, both in the offices here, also the, the chairman of the board, Jane Forbes Clark, who's, who's my boss, as well as the other board of directors. And it just, you know, you 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 walk around this place and it's so special that anybody who had an opportunity to do this job, I think, would probably jump at it. And that's that's kind of how it got it got here was um, through a regular interview process like anybody else I interviewed with. With Jane, I interviewed with uh, Commissioner Manfred, who's on our board, Cal Ripken Jr., um, some others that it, you just you, you wouldn't really expect those people to be interviewing, but that's what they were doing. They were the ones uh, seeing if I was going to be the one they selected, and ultimately they landed on me. Yeah, what a list of <laughs> people to talk with before you even got the job, but then you became the president of the Hall of Fame and of the museum and also, you know, everything that goes around with the Hall of Fame. But you guys held that first induction ceremony after COVID last September that was delayed due to COVID, but that featured Derek Cheater, which obviously, you know, Derek Cheater is one of the greatest of all time. So what would you say that first ceremony was like for you? It was pretty surreal. I mean, I, I was on the job in terms of working for the Hall of Fame, but I was still shadowing Jeff Idelson at that point. So really, my job was just to kind of watch it. And I wasn't so much concerned about making sure everything went right. That wasn't really my role. So I think in a lot of ways, the, the biggest takeaway was seeing how the town comes together and puts on this unbelievable event for um, tens of thousands. I mean, last year, we only had 20,000 people, but that's still 10 times the population of the town. And um you know, sitting on stage where you're surrounded by all of the greatest living players. It's just, it's its a impossible to describe feeling where you're looking out at the crowd going, there's no reason why I should be in this this spot. I'm not a Hall of Famer. I never will be. Um, but I think just being around the legends of the game and watching the way our staff comes together, those are probably the two biggest things from last year's induction ceremony that just kind of hit me like, this is real. I'm actually living in Cooperstown and this is uh, this is happening. And it was really, really cool to witness. Yes, I can totally agree from my standpoint, being there for the first time last year. I mean, it's so magical and so incredible being at the ceremony is so like unique. You know, the museum is amazing too, but being there in person as those greats are getting inducted since there's so few of them, you know, getting to watch that happen live is so awesome. But yeah. now this year, we finally got back to a, more of a normal type of ceremony with the whole Hall of Fame weekend. And, you know, that was you were totally in charge with that, you know, <laughs> under your role. So what was that like for you? Again, I mean, I guess when you see it, I had been here before as a fan in 2014 and 15, I guess 14 more as a fan, 15, I came with the Diamondbacks and Randy Johnson as part of the group that was with the mm -hmm. D-backs. Um, so I had an idea of what it looked like from that side of things, but to see it from 
from the inside and all of the crazy work that goes into every little thing from transporting people from one end of the town to the other to the parade being I mean that that parade was, was an enormous highlight I think for fans that you just get to watch these legends come down Main Street and probably one of my favorite moments from the entire weekend was when when um when these guys would come down Main Street and they would get off of their their truck they would walk into the hall and Jane and I would be there to greet them and Harold Baines, who um, has recently gone through a number of different medical issues, various transplants, heart transplant, et cetera, um, he was walking up the steps and he had tears in his eyes. And it just, you can see how much it means to him to be there, how much it means to every one of these Hall of Famers that they're, they're really getting to be a part of something that's just impossible to, to put into words. And yet um, we all see them as the legends and they see this place as this legendary spot. And I just think between that and the various parties that went on and the golf tournaments and all these things coming back, you really get a sense of how the community comes together to pull this off. It's, it's really special. Yeah. How unique and special, you know, just hearing that story about Harold, you know, and just how much it means for the hall of famers to be there in Cooperstown, you know, a perfect spot for, you know, the hall of fame to be honestly. And, you know, Cooperstown is just such a special place for baseball. Like, what would you say your favorite part about your job and about being able to be involved with the museum is? Hmm. It's really hard to, to, to put it into kind of a favorite thing. I mean, really, truly every day I get to be involved in different aspects of the operation here, the institution that um, on one day I might be talking about the new Black Baseball Initiative that we're working on and I can get really engaged in something curatorially but on another day, it may be a product that we're putting out in the, in the store, or it might be um, the process of, of the era committees where we're putting together the who's going to be voting for the next round of Hall of Famers. And so, I mean, it, it, is, um, it is really hard to pick one single thing. I think just being surrounded by the history in this building, uh, you could, I mean, you walk downstairs and you, if I'm giving a tour to somebody or I'm, I've got a, a VIP guest and I'm down in the collections area, you just it boggles your mind the things that are in our collection from 40,000 artifacts to 3 million documents, hundreds of thousands of photos, and they all have incredible stories behind them. And, and ultimately, um, it's my job, along with the rest of the staff here, to make sure that we're preserving the history of baseball. So, I mean, it's, you can't really pick one favorite out of all that. It's just the idea that our job is to preserve the history of this unbelievable game. To me, all of that is my favorite. Yeah, I can't blame you. I mean, it's hard to pick. You can't pick that. You, there's so many amazing, unique, different things that are just special to the Hall of Fame in their own way. But you touched a little bit about the initiative you guys are working on. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So what, what we looked at over the last couple of years was, you know, you look at the exhibit that we currently have, which is uh, called Ideals and Injustices. And it's 25 years old. we we put it out when Jackie Robinson had the 50th anniversary of breaking the color barrier. Um, we just passed the 75th anniversary this past April, and we just felt like it was time to, to look back at that subject and really take a, a new, fresh look, not just update the exhibit that's here in Cooperstown. Um, we're going to completely redo it from start to finish. We want to have all sorts of elements to make it um, reach out into other communities around the country, not just here in Cooperstown. We think it's time that, that we really take a new, fresh look at it. And so that's been a really fun project already since I've gotten here over the last, it's basically been about a year, but probably the last nine months where we've really been focused on getting things underway. And we're going to open that up in uh, 2024, right around Jackie Robinson Day of 2024. We'll have a chance to roll out a new exhibit here in Cooperstown. And that's, I mean, when you walk around, I think so many people think of the Hall of Fame as just a plaque gallery with, with plaques on the wall. 
But for those who have been here, you recognize it's a three-story museum that's living and breathing and artifacts are coming in and out of the uh, various exhibits. And we're constantly looking at ways that we can make it exciting for someone who comes more than just once. For some people, it's a bucket list that item, but for a lot of people, they're coming multiple times a year. We want to make sure that this uh, has a different feel when you come each time. So that initiative is going to be really awesome where we've got an incredible advisory board involved in it with some of the biggest names in baseball that are helping us uh, think about this in the right way. And I'm looking forward to, we're still about 18 months from opening it. So we got some time, but we're looking forward to it. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, that sounds like a special exhibit that's going to be so exciting to see in 2024. And I think it's really cool. Like you talked about how it's, you know, the museum is so much more than just the plaques on the wall on the first floor, because it has so many levels and so much breadth and depth to the museum that has different currency exhibits that come in and out and different pieces that are added to it every year. If there's, you know, with new world series champions or no hitters or different special moments in history. So those are so cool and unique parts that add to the special part of Cooperstown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it happens almost every, almost every day here. There's something going on that we look at and have a debate. Should we go and try to get an artifact from this or just this past weekend, the Mets surprised Willie Mays and, retired his number, we've got an area where we need to now update. And so a lot of museums, they're not changing as often as ours is, but we are constantly looking for, um, you know, the game of baseball happens every single night for six months every year. And frankly, more than six months when you count the, the preseason spring training and World Series, it's eight months out of the year that we're constantly looking at things that, that uh, can make this place even better. Yes, for sure. That's something that makes the museum, you know, so unique with that aspect of it. But speaking a little bit about, you know, the ceremony itself, you know, now that it was back to more so normal this year, how, how do you hope to see the ceremony grow in the future? You know, it's interesting. I think the ceremony itself doesn't need that much change to it. If I'm, I mean, if I'm being honest, it, it is, it is one of the things that I think um, it's been going on here for 80 plus years and, and it's done pretty well. It doesn't really need to be changed that, that dramatically. I mean, I think one thing we're always trying to figure out from a technology standpoint, how can technology play a role in everything we do? How can we stay relevant for the next generation of fans? You want to make sure that um, anybody, the younger people that are coming to an induction are, are enjoying themselves. But um, I would say that the induction event itself doesn't need a whole lot of change. I think what it needs is um, little minor things here and there that we tweak. And um, but, I mean, we took we took pages of notes of little things that maybe the public doesn't see that we look at and think, oh, you know, maybe we can tweak this or tweak that. But I wouldn't expect any wholesale changes. Frankly, there's 364 other days of the year that we, we also think about. And uh, induction is one that just is really pretty special the way it is. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect major changes in the years to come on that. Um, I think it's really just about little things here and there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for talking about that. But definitely already a memorable day <laughs> that is already awesome but speaking about you know obviously the 364 days like you talked about what other changes would you like to make at the hall of fame you know one of the things i talked about when i interviewed for the job with with jane forbes clark was really the, the word we use more so than change is just relevance and making sure that we continue to stay relevant for the next generation of fans we we know that if you're a, a 70 year old baseball fan or a 50 year old baseball fan, or even I'm 46 and I'm, I love walking around this building just the way it is. But I think when I see it through my son's eyes or through your eyes or somebody who's coming from the generation kind of after me, we got to make sure that the things that we do are relevant to, to you. And as you keep growing up, that it's, you're having that same enjoyment. So 
mean, we just recently put QR codes around the museum so that as people walk around, they can get more information that digitally is provided to them. We just started a TikTok account not that long ago. Um, things like that that you look at, we actually just launched a program with NFTs um, that, you know, there's a, there's a whole group of people that are looking at NFTs the same way that maybe I looked at baseball card collecting, they're looking at digital collectibles. And so it's, it's those sorts of things that we've looked at, um, some of which were already well underway before I got here, some of which I've maybe thrown into the mix and said, hey, let's kick this around. We're, we're redoing our website entirely this year. So those are the sorts of things that I'd say um, will be coming in the years to come. And there's probably a million things that we haven't even begun to think about yet, just ideas that are starting to pop up that we will continue to, like I said, it's really about staying relevant for, for the next generation of baseball fans. And while not making it, we don't want to turn this into um, a kid zone 24-7 either. I mean, we want it to also be a, a true museum that follows museum standards and that that my parents and your parents will also enjoy. So it's a little bit of threading the needle, making sure that it's great for everybody. And we think we can do that with some of the changes that that we make in the years to come. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah, you talk about finding that balance, but those fun, unique things that you guys are working on, lots of different things, that, including the NFTs and so much more. So that'll be exciting to continue to see. But you talked a little bit about the relevancy aspect of it, but how how do you hope to see you know MLB continue to involve for that next generation in general? I mean, they've, they've done an awesome job, I think, of trying to look at the game through the eyes of young people. And I, you're, you're seeing it pretty regularly now with some of the discussions they're making about pace of game and uh, let the kids play and bat flips. I mean, things of that nature. It's, it's funny because it, it is very different from when I grew up playing. The idea that I would have ever flipped a bat after I homered was like foreign. Of course, I'm not going to do it or, or done a TikTok dance on my way into the bed when I'm doing the gritty as I'm coming around third base. Doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. But I watch it from my kids' perspective and they love this stuff. That's what that's how they identify with the personality of people. So I do think um, whether it's talkbacks during the game uh, on, on an interview, so you've seen players who are playing in the outfield or in the dugout that are doing that, or um, just finding a way to show the personalities of these guys, because it makes you, it draws you closer. And I, I certainly wish I could have seen my favorite players growing up talking to me during the game or engaging in that regard. At the same time, we want to make sure that we're not making a mockery of the game itself. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that the competition is always at the highest level. And so I think what baseball is trying to do is balance that. They're trying to, you know, Theo Epstein talks a lot about the best version of our game. And so they're trying to find the things that people love, keep that in there while also experimenting with some other things, whether it's automated strike zones or quicker replays or things of that nature. Um, there's all sorts of cool things that I think we can do. Um, and I think baseball... They get it. I mean, there's no question. It, it takes a while for change to happen in an institution like MLB or like the Hall of Fame. But I can promise you they're looking at all of it and they're trying to figure out, OK, which of these things should we do and which of these things shouldn't we do because it's too much. And that's the it's a, again, it's a fine line of mm -hmm. not not upsetting the, the older generation that looks at the game and thinks they want to see it one way. But how do we make sure that we're, we're working for everybody? Yeah, I think you have a, brought a really great perspective on that because there is, you know, that important balance to find with the younger generation versus the older, but to encourage all fans to get to enjoy it and watch to find that right balance. But it's going to be exciting to see how, the, you know, it continues to evolve and grow with MLB and also the Hall of Fame with the museum and stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the events they've done, they, they've started that Home Run Derby X mm -hmm. that they're doing abroad that's I mean, it's even the home run derby itself has changed right. as you watch. It's now just a constant pace. And it's just 
there are little things sometimes it's not major tweaks that have to happen sometimes it's just a little thing or it's it's the city connect jerseys that um i mean i when i was at the diamondbacks very recently i looked at our city connect jerseys and i thought what are these these are horrible like that i that's they're not geared towards a 45 year old guy my kids looked at it and they're like these are so sick i love these jerseys and they went <laughs> so again it's it's recognizing that if you put if you put your players in a cool looking jersey maybe the older generation looks at it and goes ah what is that they don't but it's not going to stop them from watching the game at the end of the day they want to watch the game itself whereas my kids want to buy a hat or a jersey or whatever from city connect and that you're seeing that enormous success in a lot of different cities and mm-hmm. that is in a lot of ways it's funny the term connect and, and connecting generations is what we talk about here at the hall it's what we do every day here and when you watch people walk around it's a grandparent and a parent and a child all talking about baseball from their own perspective and it's their different perspectives but it's something that that the family can mm-hmm. think about and be a part of for I mean they'll be talking about it 20 years from now the time they went and visited the hall of fame with their parents or their grandparent. Yes, absolutely. And different generations, you know, joining and finding different things they enjoy most about the game. But uh, I'm excited because what I always do with my guests to finish off the podcast is what I call my favorite five questions. So first off, what would you say is one piece of advice you would give to the next generation? Um. I would say that nothing beats good old fashioned hard work um, and curiosity. You got to You got to be curious about the world around you. You got to try to empathize with the people around you and realize that not everybody sees the world the way you do. And if we can do that, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. That's some great advice. I love that. All right. The next one is to give a shout out to someone that has made an impact on your life. Um so many that I could go with, but I, I would certainly say my high school baseball coach, uh, Tom Musborn, was really, for me, kind of like a second father through high school. I really was not a particularly talented player, but um, for whatever reason, he put me on a very good team uh, where I grew up in California, and I got to really understand the game incredibly well, and he, he, he taught, taught me the importance of being on time and doing things right, and um, just, you know, I, I've always thought, felt very highly about uh, our relationship and what he what he did with the program after I left was pretty cool. So Tom Musborn, Coach Musborn, a shout out to him. Awesome. <laughs> Love that. All right. The next one is if you could plan your perfect day, how would you spend it? Yeah. Um, it would probably involve, uh, it certainly involve my family. Obviously, I want my family somewhere with me. It would probably involve going abroad somewhere because I love international travel. So I would I would be with my family somewhere overseas, but still having baseball involved in it somehow um some good meals and maybe i'd be watching a baseball game somewhere in in japan or south america or somewhere cool um but with my family with me hey that sounds like a fun day awesome all right so what sport would you want to play or be involved with if you weren't involved in baseball um, I love college basketball. I went to Indiana University where, uh, bas- I mean, in the state of Indiana, basketball is a religion, basically. And I, I, <laughs> I, I, well, I didn't grow up there, but I came to came to love college basketball once I went away to college. So I think being involved somehow in March Madness would actually be really cool. Awesome. Sounds like fun. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, if you had a superpower that could make the world better, what would you want it to be and why? 
Oh man, you'd think I would have thought of this one before, but um, I, I would want people to be able to um, easily put themselves in other people's shoes. I think just finding a way to, if you if you could find a way to get people to understand how other people see the world, um, I know that's not a superpower, but it, it would solve many of the problems that we have in the world, whether it's in the Ukraine or whether it's racism or whether it's the peace in the Middle East, if you could find a way for people to actually live a day in somebody else's life, they would very quickly, I think, change the way that they acted, myself included. I'm sure there's a million ways where I don't realize what it's like to be somebody else. And so if I could if I could do that, I think it would lead to some pretty cool, uh, I know that's a very strange power, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, but I would, I think it's better than flying or uh, or being invisible or anything like that. No, I think that's a really unique one. I love that point of view. Definitely think could benefit me and everyone else too, you know, getting to figure out the perspectives of others in that aspect of it. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for coming on and joining me and sharing about your baseball journey from the beginning after college to now with the Baseball Hall of Fame and different things in the works at the Hall of Fame. And I can't wait to, you know, see what else, you know, is coming up in the future there. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you. Similarly, I'm excited to follow your career and I'm glad we kind of ran into each other in Williamsport and I got a chance to meet you. So good luck. And uh, hopefully we'll see you out in Cooperstown and all of your listeners out in Cooperstown sometime soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you.